Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> On um, the 7th of October this year, many of you would know, there is uh, Hamas attacks Israel. Um, 1,200 Israelis were killed. It was on the Sabbath, day of rest. Most of the civilians were killed. 200 people taken hostage. Many people, you know, we watched on and we thought, you know, that's, that's evil, it's unjust. Um, and the question begs, you know, like, how, how do you make that right? Like, how do you bring justice to a situation like that? Um, and for the Israeli government, you know, the answer was, was vengeance, right? We're going to wage a high-tech war against you, bombings, ground invasion, humanitarian crisis. And many of us would look onto that as well and go, well, there's a bit of, like, evil and unjust there as well. So how do you make that right, is the question. And it begs, it begs the question, is like, how do you actually make the world right? Like, what is justice? How do we actually bring about a world that is kind and just? The Gaza Strip, you know, what's going on there, is just one example of a world that is in chaos and in mess. Um, and it's not just happen, happening at kind of a nation-state level, but it happens in our own lives as well, right? There is, there is injustice that we do to one another all the time, to our families even, to the people across the street. We are uh, always in this state of, like, unjustness, evilness. And we're in a series called Restoration, and we're talking about what does it mean to actually join with God into the restoration of all things. That's kind of the story of the Bible, is that Jesus is bringing restoration. He's going to make the world new, make the world right. And we've been talking about how, what are the ways for us to join in. We've been talking about our vocation and our work as a way of joining in with the restoration of all things. We've been talking about the transcendentals, truth and beauty and goodness, and finding those things in our life and turning the volume up on those things. Um, we talked about last, last week, Craig was here, talking about people of peace. How do we find God at work in people around us, our friends and neighbors? And how do we join with him in that? Um, and we talked about placemaking being committed to the place where God's called you to be, your neighborhood. How do we continue to do that just like Shoebox Revolution is doing? Being committed to this place, meeting the needs of this place. There's something innate about us. I want to talk about justice this morning as a way of joining in with the restoration of all things. There is something innate in us as human beings that we just know that the world is not as it should be, right? We know that the world is not right. There's just something not right here. We know that it's wrong for the strong to crush the weak. We know that it's wrong for people or innocent people to get caught up in conflict. But where does that desire come from? Where does that kind of knowing what's right and what's wrong come from? Where does that desire that knows that it is wrong for the strong to crush the weak come from? How do we know what's evil and how do we respond to what's evil? And that's kind of the question we want to look at this morning. Many people have noted that human rights, you actually can't get to the idea of human rights that every single human being has a, a level of rights in the world. You can't get to that idea except through the Christian story, the, the story of the Bible, the Judeo, 
Judeo-Christian narrative. Yuval Harari, who is a, um, a staunch atheist, historian, wrote a book called Sapiens. He says that human rights are a Christian myth. And I would agree with him. And um, many people have tried to get to human rights without God. They want kind of the kingdom without the king. That's what Mark Sayers says. Um, and there's three kind of main ways that people get to human rights without being followers of Jesus. Um, number one is they just say it's like natural law, that we've evolved to the point as a human species that we know now it's, it's right for us to take care of the weak. Um, but the problem that, with that is that, you know, evolutionary biology is built on the idea of survival of the fittest, that the, the strongest of the species go forward and propagate and the weakest die off. And so it doesn't really make sense to get human rights out of that. The other way that people try to get to human rights is they talk about human capacity. There is something about our cognitive function that sets us apart from the animal world and that there is something in us that we are collectively to care for the weak. Um, but the problem is that not all of us meet the kind of level of you know, human capacity. What happens if you're in a coma? Or a newborn child, I noticed very early on when Milo was born that our dog was smarter than my son. Uh, it only lasted for a couple of months, but like, the, he didn't actually meet the kind of human capacity thing. That's the weakest amongst us, maybe the severely uh, mentally impaired. You know, the weakest among us, amongst us still need to be protected and cared for. The third way people try to get to human rights, and this is probably the one that I agree with most, is that we just decide them. Like, we just created them. As humans, we've just decided, kind of the Geneva Convention, we've decided that this is what we do as humans. But the problem with that is that if we've decided for it, then we can decide against it. We can decide as a majority that this one particular group of people doesn't deserve human rights. Um, and that doesn't really cover us in uh, very long. In the Holocaust, for example, you know, Hitler was democratically elected, right? It was a, it was a majority decision. Human rights are a Christian myth, says Yuval Harari. I want to tell you exactly why that's true. Um, Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, we'll be flicking through. It's going to be on the screens as well. Verse 27. I want to show you where this idea of human rights, where this idea of justice comes from. It's from this little verse in an ancient book. It says this, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them Male and female, he created them. This little verse is where the idea of human rights, of justice comes from. That every single person that you see, any person that you ever interacted with in your whole life, is made in the image of God. Regardless of gender, regardless of social class, regardless of sexuality, regardless of how much money they earn, regardless of their politics, regardless of their age, regardless of their mental capacity, every single person is made in the image of God. This is the basis of justice. This is the basis of human rights. Every single person deserves to be treated as if they are the image of God. And the story goes on um, into Genesis chapter 3, and we see not only where the basis of justice and human rights comes from, where, where the basis of evil comes from. It says this, verse 1. Are you with me so far? I know a bit philosophical this morning. You good? Yeah, good, good. With me? If you weren't with me, would you say no or would you just nod awkwardly? Yeah. Genesis 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest 
of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, and just by the way, you know, if you've grown up in church, we just fly through this, that there's a talking snake in the garden. Um, and it's weird, like it's not like people that wrote this thought this was, this was like happened normally. The fact that it's weird, and when you find something that's weird in the Bible, it's showing you something, it's pointing you something. The reason that there's a talking snake is saying, it's like putting a highlight around it. This is a strange thing. Like, pay attention. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So he's twisting what God had said. It goes on. Um, of course, we may eat any fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. This is really interesting. God knows that your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Now, the interesting thing, we read it just a second ago, is that she already was like God. She's already made in the image of God. But the serpent is coming and trying to twist this image that we can be something more than what we are. That I can be like God, which in turn means that the people around me are less than me, right? God is above us. Then if I'm like God, then the other people are not like God. And so there's this idea of putting myself up above others and taking the knowledge of good and evil into my own hands. So this, is, this is the very like spot where evil comes from. Us as humans, this is kind of an archetypal story, taking into our own hands what good is and what evil is. We do this all the time, right? This is what Hamas was doing when they launched a terror attack. They think they were doing the right thing because they're fighting an ideological war. When Israel comes in and invades the Gaza Strip trying to rid the world of Hamas, they think they're doing the right thing. They think it's good. But we do this like on our own as well. Like Mel and I, we recently bought a house. And until we bought a house, we wanted the market to crash. Like, screw the homeowners, I want a cheaper house. But now that we own a house, we want the market to go up. Who cares about the renters, right? Because it's what's good for me. But we do this so subtly all the time. What's good for me oftentimes becomes what's evil for others because we define what's good and evil on our own terms. And that is the root of all evil. That's the root of in justice. You with me? You following? So God's answer to this kind of redefinition of, of good and evil is um, he gives the law. He creates a people, which turns into Israel, ironically, um, and he gives the law. He's defining again for his people what good is and what evil is. I think 98% of the world's problems would uh, be solved if every single person followed the Ten Commandments, right? There's this kind of moral, ethic guideline to show what it is to live like a good person, to live knowing what good and evil is. And there's this, this idea that comes up over and over again all through the Old Testament. It's mishpat and tzedakah. Everyone say mishpat and tzedakah. Tzedakah is an ancient Hebrew. Mishpat gets translated as justice. And Sedekah gets translated as righteousness. Justice means right, right living. Righteousness is a very churchy word, but it just means right relationship. So right living and right relationship. Or right systems, justice, and right individuals, righteousness. 
Mishpat and Tzedakah. You almost always find these two things written together in the Scriptures. Mishpat and Tzedakah. And the law was there to show the people how to live as Mishpat and Tzedakah. Live in justice and righteousness. It's not enough just to kind of live doing my own thing. But I am to look around the world to look for how I can engage in justice and righteousness. Right systems, right people, right living, right relationships. And so um, justice and righteousness was particularly done to a trio of people we see all through the Bible, is the alien or the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan. This is kind of the trio that the Bible uses as all the people that are in need. The, the foreigner and the familyless. The people without a place, without a, without a country, and the people without a family. And it wasn't enough just to follow the Ten Commandments and not commit murder and not commit adultery, but actually the role of, of God's people was to look out for the people that had no one else looking out for them. Do mishpat and tzedakah. This is exactly what Sheridan's doing in Shoebox Revolution, right? She doesn't need to do that. She's volunteering. She started things. She could just live her own life. But she's given her energy and her time to look out for people that other people aren't looking out for. That is Mishpat and Sedekah. And this has been in, in Christianity's veins. Like, if you go to the worst places in, uh, in, in our globe, the worst humanitarian crisis, you will find Christians there. Because it's just like it's in us. Mishpat and Sedekah. It's part of what we're called to be and do, to look after the foreigner and the familyless. And so um, the story of Scripture goes that God gives the law, He continues to invite His people into Mishpat and Sedekah, um, but they fail at this time and time again. They fail at it. They become the oppressors. They were, they were slaves in Egypt. They come into the superpower. They begin to oppress the foreigner and the familyless. They, they forget to look out for others. And all the prophets, all through the, like the end of the Old Testament, you see all these little prophets, they're often railing against the king, saying, you've got to remember Mishpat and Sedekah. You've got to come back. You've got to remember the foreigner and the familyless. A- Amos 5 says this. It says, Amos, a prophet, he's speaking to Israel. He says, I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise, Jaden. Away with them. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Lucky we don't have harps. That's meant to be a joke. Everyone, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, Mishpat. An endless river of righteous living, Zedekah. I don't care about your church services, God says. I want you to live Mishpat and Zedekah. We see in the rest of Scripture that God does actually care about these spaces, but he's making a point here. You can do all this stuff, but if you don't actually live out looking for the foreigner and the familyness, it doesn't mean anything. We've got to embody this. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus shows us exactly what it looks like for Mishpat and Sedekar to be embodied in a person. He lived with justice, and he lived with righteousness. Justice, he went around healing people. He went around restoring people, transforming people. He stood up against the kind of oppressive religious system, right? He spoke truth to power. And he lived as righteousness. He had this incredible ethic of love. Most of the ethic that we find ourselves in Western Christianity is based on the teaching of Jesus, because it was just so transformative, you don't find it anywhere else. He lived an ethic of love. 
He treated everyone as if they were actually made in the image of God. He actually looked out for the foreigner and the familyless, the people that, the familyless, the people that he spent most of the time with were the people that were on the edges of society, the low of, of the kind of social structure. He spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and um, widows and orphans and beggars. And then on the cross, he showed us, he embodied mostly what it is to live as Mishpat and Sedekah. He gave his life as a sacrifice for others. He showed us what Mishpat and Zedekah really is. That justice comes through self-sacrificial love. Not through vengeance, but through self-sacrifice. And what was taken at the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden was restored again and given to us on the tree of the cross. 2, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him, is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I know this is a very confusing sentence. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, to take our place of sin or evil, right, unjustness, so that we could be made right, sedekah, with God. He gives us justice and righteousness, even though we don't deserve it. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was a pastor, theologian in Nazi Germany, stood up against the, um, the Nazis. He says, the cross proves that suffering love is what actually vanquishes evil. The cross proves that self-sacrificial love is what actually vanquishes evil. The world's solution to justice is vengeance, right? To invade a country after a terrorist attack, to... Um, cancel someone online that you don't agree with, whatever it is, to get angry, to block someone, to crucify others, it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which means you take an eye from me, I'm going to take an eye from you. You take a tooth from me, I'm going to take a tooth from, t- from you. The world thinks that justice comes through vengeance, but that just starts a cycle, right? Because you've taken my eye, well, I'll take your other eye, right? And that's just what happens. It just goes back and back and forth. But justice comes through love. That's the way of Jesus. The world teaches that justice comes through vengeance. Jesus teaches that justice comes through self-sacrificial love. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You've heard that it said. Love is the way. He told us that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, to love our enemies even. Self-sacrifice is the way. Forgiveness is the way. Jesus shows us that mishpat and sedekah comes through self-sacrificial love, through forgiveness. A couple of years ago, and I'm just landing, um, 2016, I was a youth pastor. We got to take a whole bunch of um, young people to northern Thailand. We had a bunch of connections over there. And we visited a place, Zoe, who, who we've had a connection with over the years and given to um, at Greenhouse, is an anti-trafficking organization. They do incredible work. They partner with the local government there, and they rescue particularly child slaves um, from horrific situations. And um, they take them back to their families or homes. If they can't go back to a family or home, they have a, a children's home. Um, world-class, based in families, all the kind of best best practice stuff. 
We actually got to go to the to the um the place. It's beautiful, just huge house. And all the kids have these own little, like, family units. You don't ever interact with the kids because that's, like, not good. Um, but you do get to go to church there, and there's, and there's some kids around. Um, but they told us a story. And apologies for... It's, it's kind of crude, actually. But um, of three young boys who were rescued out of uh, sex slavery. And when they rescued them, the room was complete dark. And the floor was covered... In, in used condoms. And they rescued these kids. They couldn't go back to their families or villages. And so they ended up in the children's home. And um, there were two younger boys and one older one. The older boy, his role when they were in captivity was to be the enforcer, to make sure the other two stood in line. And so you can understandably get the younger boys hating the older guy. They hated him. They banded together and they, there was just, like, pure hatred to what this older kid had done to them. And after a couple of months of being there, they were at a prayer night one night, and the two young boys came up and they forgave the older boy, realizing that he was a victim too. And to me, like, that just so perfectly illustrates Mishpat and Zedekah, so perfectly illustrates the way of Jesus that actually it's forgiveness and self-sacrificial love that changes the world. And I don't know, you know, what the best way forward with on global things like Hamas or Benjamin Netanyahu or people that um, traffic children, like how do you bring justice there? It's, it's way beyond my pay grade. But I do know that we are part of a bigger story and a promise. And the promise is, we find it in Revelation 21, that Jesus is going to remake the world. That he's going to come back again and he's going to make the world right. Mishpat and Zedekah will come back in full. It says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain, all these things are gone forever. And that's the story that we find ourselves in. We know that the world is not as it's meant to be, but Jesus is remaking the world. And until that point, we get to receive the mishpat and zedekah, the justice and righteousness of God, to embody it, to go out with our feet, in our bodies, where we find ourselves, to look out for those that need looking out for, to embody justice, right living, but righteousness as well, right relationship, to embody justice, changing the systems that we need to change, but also righteousness, changing ourselves as well. That is the way of Jesus. Until that time that Jesus comes again, I'll just leave us with one last verse and the band can come up. Uh, Romans chapter 8, this is Paul, and he's uh, speaking to the church there, and he says, um, that's the wrong verse, I've got it written wrong, my bad, Emily. It says, do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That is the way of Jesus. That the cross shows that self-sacrificial love is the thing that vanquishes evil. Mishpat and Tzedakah. Can I pray for you?
Father, I thank you so much for these people in this room, for our, our church. I thank you for the way of Jesus. I pray that you would come again. And first and foremost, that you would make us right. We know that there is evil and selfishness and greed within our own hearts and lives, that we are all tempted all the time to define what's good for me, to redefine what's evil. Father, I pray that you would come again and give us forgiveness, change us and shape us. May we be the embodiment of Mishpat and Siddhartha. May we live in justice. May we live in righteousness. We know that we can't do that on, your own, on our own. We need your spirit. We thank you that your kingdom is coming here on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you would help us to be partners in that restoration. So I just pray, I just going to give a few moments just for you to speak. I wonder if there's one thing that God might be inviting you into. One small change, one small pivot, one small action. We know that there's just so much evil in the world, so much wrong with the world. It's overwhelming. But Spirit, I pray that you would, you would come and you would just invite us into the one thing, the next right step for us. Just give you a few moments to speak.